Hello, my name is Dr. Susie Harris, and I'm the owner of Cedarwood Natural Health Center in South Burlington here in Vermont. And I'm welcoming you to my podcast. This is the podcast called Next Seven. Uh, the purpose of this podcast is to increase solution-based thinking, solution-based thinking, focusing on making sure people everywhere have access to clean organic food, clean water, and result-oriented functional health care. It's a mouthful, but I really do think, you know, just a quick moment of, of disclosure in my practice, most people who come in here with a health issue, it's generally the underpinning is because of not, not really having access or knowing about the importance of clean food and clean water and functional health care is in there, but I really want to talk today about the uh, clean food piece. Um, I feel like if we can get people free of the burdens of uh, not clean food and water, then uh, we would be ensuring the next seven generations would be left with a planet that allows them to thrive. And uh, that's important to me. So I'm really thrilled today. I have with me today, Mike Proya. Did I say your name right? I should have asked yeah, you, you that did. before we started recording. Jeez. Good work. It's All a right. rare thing to get that right. I love it. So you're the owner and chef of Blank Page Cafe located at Bread and Butter Farms in South Burlington. Um, and from what I read about you, you have quite a passion for food and building community. So welcome. I'm so glad you're taking time with me today. Thank you. Thank you, Susie. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And I would just start off by saying that I love, I love that phrase, solution-based thinking. Mm. Because, because when I zoom out and think about a lot of the problems that we face, it's very easy to name the problem. Mm-hmm. what's what's more difficult is to take action towards a solution and i think that phrase solution-based thinking really gets at the crux which is a shift in mindset mm-hmm. which oftentimes is the very first domino um to fall and we and i've seen that in in just my sphere uh, over the past handful of years and so yeah i appreciate that i think that's very insightful and, and says a lot without saying too much yeah, you know, I picked that up. Well, it's not, of course, my phrase alone, but uh, I was inspired for that phrase. A friend of mine was talking about admiring the problem. And she's like, how long are we going to admire the problem? We need to move on and notice what we don't want and get clear about what we do want. And let's take some action, which is cool, without being, you know, militant about it. Gentle and small moves make big differences. So it's really kind of beautiful to just bring people's attention to it and let them go, wow, really that? Have them try it on. And sometimes it's not new to them. And uh, it's nice to try to connect us so we can be uh, together trying to put more impact on, on some of the things we're talking about. Yeah, I love that. I think it probably resonates with you. I think you you alluded to this cure, you know, this kind of curiosity that you probably experienced in your practice and with a lot of your, you know, patients and folks that you work with in the integrative medicine world. And we, we see it a lot on the, on the food front, the sort of organic and regenerative farming and mm-hmm. folks interested in the food supply front, that curiosity is so powerful. And if we yeah. can tap it, tap into that and get people excited about that and be excited about it ourselves consistently, Yes, it, uh, it, it definitely has, has a lot of potency and 2020 was a, a year that did not lack 
power and potency in many ways. And, you know, it was a year from my personal perspective that did spark a lot of curiosity and question asking on so many fronts mm. and brought to, that too. Yeah. And brought to the surface uh, a lot of issues that folks perhaps weren't ready to confront and our own individual health being, being one of the, one of the most obvious ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get into more of, you know, your philosophies and your cafe and all that cool stuff. Um, Blank Page Cafe located at Bread and Butter Farms in South Burlington. Um, but before we do, I just want to give people a little background on you. Um, you were in a job kind of like a finance based job until about 2013. How old were you then? 2013, I quit my job. I was 29. And I started, I started the job shortly after turning 21, my senior year in college, I actually started the job. So okay, pretty much the full, full nine years. Yeah. Okay, so you were established making some pretty good cash, probably and knocking it down. And so tell us what happened? What had you, uh, you started a journey towards something more intuitive and meaningful to yourself? What was that? What, what inspired that on? Yeah, that's a big question, Susie, and I appreciate you asking it because it really, that that decade, that better part of a decade in my life from 20 to 30, uh, as is the case with so many young folks, was such a, such a, a powerful time of seeking and questioning and uncertainty on a, on a lot of levels. And I was brought up uh, on, in a very blue collar family. And so my sister and I were first generation, you know, college, college kids, if you will. And my parents instilled in us a very strong work ethic and were very much, very much wanting us to go to college to be able to pursue professions that they didn't have the opportunity to pursue. And so that was a, a strong value that was instilled in, in, in us and in me from a very young age. So I held that very close to my heart. And that was a big inspiration for a lot of the hard work I did in college and a lot of the hard work I did to try and find a job that would fit the bill, so to speak, that would, would kind of bump me into a different tier of society, you know, as I, as I sort of thought about it back then and would open doors for me that, you know, my parents didn't have open to them. And so that was the ethos. That was my compass. That was sort of the framework within which I thought about the world and was approaching life. And I carried that very, very intensely. And then when I was 20, my mom um, got diagnosed with lung cancer and mm-hmm. passed away one year after diagnosis. So she passed uh-huh. away. She passed away when I was 20. She got diagnosed when I was 19, passed away when I was 20. She was uh, 46 mm-hmm. when she passed away. And that was and remains to be the most impactful experience of my life. Uh, yeah. And, and drew to the surface so much. And mm. it took me years and years to process her death and the loss of, of, of my, you know, of my mom and the impact that that had on me. But as it relates to this story and how I got to where I am today and what I'm doing today is is the notion of deferring goals and plans and intentions. Mm-hmm. My parents very much led their lives 
under the assumption that they would have their tomorrows and that their tomorrows would be better than their todays. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot that they invested, you know, emotionally, energetically, uh, strategically, if you think about your life that way, in their tomorrows. And, and I saw that and I felt that and I thought that was smart of them. But, you know, what I didn't realize was how much they were sacrificing in the present, their own, their own desires, their own passions, um, you know, anything that might be related to self-care and, Mm -hmm. you know, just a lot of things that we all, we all might think about as being necessary to lead a fulfilled and examined and happy life. My parents Mm -hmm. would defer those plans. So when my mom passed away, it kind of brought, brought me into this realization that, wow, yeah, tomorrows aren't guaranteed by any stretch. And in fact, they might not be there at all. And so how do I think about that when it comes to the decisions I make with my life? Mm-hmm. What I do for what I do for a job, how I relate to people and relationships that I have, and what values do I want to uphold and, and put out there to the world. And it's interesting, I just was listening to a podcast on, on philanthropy and the nonprofit world. And, you know, the rough statistic is that we will all spend about 80,000 hours of our lives dedicated to our jobs, quote unquote. Mm, and if you really liked it. <laughs> exactly. And so it was interesting for me because I, I shortly after her loss, I took a job and, and, and uh, was loving it. It was in the investment management industry as a, as a bond trader. Mm-hmm. So I worked, I worked, I was in Connecticut and I worked with, with Wall Street very closely and um, I was working in that job through the financial crisis and before, during, and after. And I learned a ton. I was surrounded by really smart people who cared about a lot of things, but there was something missing. Mm-hmm. And that missing piece for me, that, that voice inside of me that began as a whisper in my early 20s, of evolved and grew over time to be a, a screaming roar of... Mm-hmm what are you doing with your life? You're spending 10 to 12 hours a day doing this thing over here when your passions are evolving and growing over here. Mm -hmm. How can you align the two so that you're spending more time on what you're passionate about and what you see as a future version of what you want to be building and growing and evolving towards? And how can you get paid to do that and create a livelihood and a lifestyle around that? And so over time, it became more and more important and clear to me that I needed to take action to bridge that gap and start to shift my focus of my time and my energy and my passions. And I was really fortunate through my 20s to have some really smart and uh, caring mentors to help me think about the world in a different way. Uh, folks who presented me with information that I hadn't thought about and really taught me how to think about things differently. And that was a paradigm shift for me over time. It didn't happen overnight or even over the course of a year, you know, it took the better part of almost a decade to truly, you know, drum up the courage to quit a job that, as you, as you said, was paying well, had a strong future, was going to open up those doors for me. Like I thought, I wanted to be open. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took a lot of courage, and um, but it was a decision. Interestingly enough, that when I shared it with everybody that I worked with and for at my old job, it was just an int- the the proof that I was making the right decision 
lied in how many people I shared that, that decision with and how many of them had the, I wish fill in the blank. Yeah. I could have, should have fill in the blank. Oh yeah. You know, good. So there was a, there was a big component of, wow, I did make the right decisions. And I, you know, and I felt that and I continue to kind of uh, think, think that I'm on the right path. I mean, who knows, you know, but, um, but now, did you, did you yeah. have, so here's you working that job. Were you already feeling some pull toward like farming and, and food and things like that? How did that yeah. start? Yeah, that's a good question for sure. So when, when I was 10, between the ages of 10 and 15, I just serendipitously was able to work on a, on a neighborhood farm, which is mm. now, you know, which is now uh, developed um, for and not existing anymore. But mm. I, I worked summers. I made four bucks an hour. I worked from nine to noon picking tomatoes, mostly tomatoes, peppers, tobacco, a couple seasons. And the farmer who owned that land was like your quintessential classic old timer, you know, and he, he had just an energy and an aura about him that I think really inspired me on this subconscious level. I couldn't, I couldn't really, you know, I was a kid, so I didn't really know what I was doing and talking about, but that tactile work, working with my hands, getting dirty, mm-hmm. you know, for the first time meaningful meaningfully in my life and like being able to, <laughs> being able to produce uh, was a big, big theme for me. You know, when I was working my old job, I kept coming back to this feeling of like, I'm just consuming. I'm existing in a way that's just about consumption kind of constantly. And when I, when I kind of dipped, dipped back into that space of, man, when I was a kid and I was working on that farm, like, yeah, I got paid a few bucks and stuff, but that feeling of like, at the end of the day, wow, I contributed to something meaningful was there for me. And I still Mm -hmm. have that even, even with the most menial mundane, seemingly mundane and chore oriented tasks, I feel an extreme sense of satisfaction with that. So there was the farming experience when I was a kid. And then there was some really powerful personal health journeys that specifically my father uh, was on. He experienced some really significant bouts of ulcerative colitis. Long story short, was able to shy away from the more extreme Western medicine which would have uh, been a surgery and some pretty extreme intervention as far as solutions. And he mm. took a little bit more of a long approach and linked up with a nutritionist. This was early nineties. So this was kind of early on in the you know, nutrition sort of realm as far as, as far as we knew it, uh, but was able to put his uh, ulcerative colitis in, in remission for, you know, for basically since the early nineties till now. And, and that was, that was another experience that just got lodged into my subconscious. And then lastly, and this is the last little example, it harkens back to one of my mentors at my old job who started to just open up my mind to some of the nutrition information that was coming out at the very early stages of the sort of like paleo keto movement. Sure. Yeah. And it just, yeah. And I was intrigued by it on a lot of levels. And I think for me, um, juxtaposing this, this investment job where we were we were funding in all, in all respects, the work of Archer Daniels Midland and Carhill and some of these massive agro food businesses, mm-hmm. you know, we, you know, I was playing an active role in sort of financing those, those mm-hmm. companies. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, I was learning all this information about our food system and the politics of it and the socioeconomics of it and, you know, the history and it was just, and the nutrition and, 
man, I was like, wow, these two things do not match. And the divide begins. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, that's those great. three things combined, I think, really grew and evolved and sort of metastasized over time to put me in a position to be able to make a decision that I felt mm-hmm. was the right one. How cool, though. What, the story you just told gives me this visual of, you know, here's you in the middle this beautiful human being, like most everyone is, you're doing something that you think is helpful. And then you learn something new and you realize that the thing you were doing maybe isn't as helpful as you thought on a, on a sustainable level. And when you think about the next seven generations kind of thing. And so there's you in the middle having to make the choice. And I see this is kind of where we're at in a way with with humanity, maybe a little bit like we see some stuff that we know should be different, but it's hard. It's a jumpy thing to do. It's pretty it's a pretty scary thing to make that jump. And so thank you for demonstrating that you're an example of someone who was like, you know, my heart is louder. I'm going to have to make this jump. Yeah. And that means making big decisions that look like you're tearing everything apart sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what, honestly, Susie, and I, I appreciate that. And, uh, and I think back and even to this day, and I, I think I, I, I'm filled with gratitude and still am in awe of how lucky I am mm. to be born a, a white male in the 20th century that had an intact family unit access to resources, you know, home cooked meals and a supportive family. These were the under, these were the underpinnings to, to, to me being able to make that decision with a sense of confidence of it'll be all right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and now a lot of folks I know, young, young people, especially it's, it's tough because we are not set up. There are not that many incentives necessarily Mm -hmm. to, draw people away from maybe something they are doing to something they really want to be doing. And so, I mean, that's a big, that's probably a whole another podcast. Right. But, right. But it's, but yeah, I do want to pick a piece of that though. I want to pick this up for just a second. Um, So you left in 2013 and you jumped into this university of Vermont farmers training program. You moved to Vermont and started this, that program, you attended this program. Can you take just a quick second? I, I think because I know uh, some of the folks who listen to this have young people who are uh, not exactly sure where they want to go and they don't want to do just something yeah, to yeah. get money and make the plans for the future. They want to do something heartfelt, especially coming out of this whole experience we've had in the last year. Um, what is that program? University of Vermont Farmers Training Program. Yeah, that's an amazing, I'm, I'm really happy and excited to plug that program. And it was a life-changing program for me. There's no doubt about it. I met my current partner now of uh, almost eight years in that program, which was probably the coolest thing. And there's an incentive. Yeah. But, but what it is, you're, you're, you're getting right to the, to the core of it, which was for me making such a big life transition, having something that was structured and intentional Mm-hmm. to transition into was really necessary for me personally. And that's what the farmer training program does, because if you don't know how to farm or you're not well-versed in food systems, but you're curious and want to do it, I mean, you kind of have two options, either 
you just go for it and maybe try and get a job at a farm or maybe start your own small scale food business or, you know, do a lot of self-learning or, or you seek out some sort of apprenticeship or uh, something else that's structured and that farm, the farmer trading program fills that structured piece. So it is a, it is a, uh, a program that's affiliated with UVM. It's part of the department of continuing education and the, uh, what, I, what I appreciated most about that program, it was an eight-month intensive full-time program that has both hands-on components. So you're actually, you're actually growing food and running a small micro-business. The, the program has a CSA and uh, does wholesale, you know, wholesale sales. So they, they, they teach everything from growing to business development to marketing to social justice and everything in between, sort of food systems, if you will. Yeah. And what I appreciated the most is that that you know transitioning away from something totally not related and into the farmer training program, I was immediately plugged into the the amazing agricultural community uh, that exists here in Chittenden County in Vermont. Oh, and awesome. Being, yeah, and that was the coolest part. I mean, just being around so many people who had such diverse experiences and were diverse people uh, and came to the program for diverse reasons. And then the networking of, of the network of farms that I was able to just plug into immediately was really cool. And one of the coolest things is that uh, as part of the program, there's a rotational piece. So there's a handful of partner farms that Mm -hmm. are in the area that host the farmer training students one day a week for, an, for a certain period of time throughout the program. So you get some really hands-on experience on mm-hmm. working farms in the area and bread and butter farm where my cafe is located since the beginning has been one of those partner farms. And so, fantastic. yeah, I, I spent time at bread and butter farm when I was a student there and then we, you know, and we continue to host students. And what's really exciting is last year, the program was canceled due to COVID and, but this year they've figured out a way to make it happen and it's going to happen. So yeah, it's a super cool program. I encourage anybody who's listening, who's curious to check it out. There's information online. That's awesome. Yeah. So you did that program, which is quite intensive and then uh, did a little traveling, California, Ireland, Italy. What were you doing bouncing around like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. There's a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of just wanting to sort of sell my travel out. So I, I mentioned earlier, I, pretty much have had a job since I was 10, you know, mm-hmm. um, for better or worse. I never, and, and, and we grew up not really vacationing or traveling or, you know, getting out of the hometown too much, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I, I never really traveled. I didn't study abroad. Uh, I didn't really go on vacation too much. And because of the intense nature of my old job, I very rarely took time off. I, I very mm-hmm. rarely had anything more than a long weekend off. So traveling was uh, just sort of like, wow, I finally have an opportunity in my life to do this. Like I have some time. I mean, the, the most valuable resource we all have that oftentimes feels like there's never enough of it is time. And up until the, the time where I quit my job, I felt that way. I felt like mm-hmm. I was always crunched for time. And then I w- woke up and I'm like, holy crap, I'm almost 30 now. And I haven't really done, <laughs> I haven't really gone anywhere. And so the cool thing was, yeah, and I, I met, like I mentioned, my partner, Katie, who I met in the farmer training program, who had traveled a bunch and, you know, was of you know, very adventurous spirit. And so we sort of decided like, hey, we could, 
could go and do this. And we didn't want to just travel. We didn't want a vacation. We wanted to put some intention into it. And so having both, both of us having really strong interest in farming and stuff, we said, Hey, how cool would it be to be able to work on some farms to sort of subsidize the cost of our travel and also meet cool people and get some great experience. So we did that. So that's awesome. We, yeah. We woofed, which stands for worldwide opportunities on organic farms. And uh, we that's did awesome. that through Europe. Yeah. Italy, Ireland, and the Netherlands. We woofed on some super cool farms with great host families. And that was a yeah. magical time. And yeah. And you know, I, I uh, a lot of good memories from that. Nice. So, so let's go back to Vermont and talk about your cafe. I want to make sure people get to learn about it. Um, this is the big one. I mean, your cafe is amazing. And I wanted people to get a little sense of your personality because it's in the food. <laughs> yeah. You know, you yeah. really bring a lot of uh, creativity and ingenuity and uh, intention into what you're doing there. It's, it's uh not just your average snack shack. <laughs> yeah, cool. No, I like that. Yeah, we, we try and have fun with it. I mean, ultimately, you know, it's like, try not to take myself too seriously. Um, but at the same time, we try and have a lot of fun and, and put a lot of intention and passion into what we do. And we bring yeah. a lot of energy into it. And it's interesting because when I first started, so I, I first started at the Burlington Winter Farmers Market just as like a pop-up vendor there okay. and back in yeah. 2015, really just selling coffee and gluten-free treats. Mm-hmm. Um, partnering with a local coffee roaster and selling coffee and gluten-free treats. And then after that winter farmer's market, serendipitously, long story short, um, Bread and Butter Farm was expanding and exploring the opportunity to have sort of multiple, p- p- the potential for multiple businesses to be operating at Bread and Butter Farm. Mm-hmm. So we decided to give that a try. And uh, that was uh, almost five years ago. It'd be five years in April. And things have evolved and grown over time. And I've finally gotten to manifest my original intention was, which is to actually be cooking and serving food to our community. And when I first started the business, it was very clear that I was making a product, you know, say, well, if you, you were to say, ask me five years ago, Mike, what do you sell? Like, okay, well, we sell coffee and we do, we put this awesome local hundred percent grass fed butter in it. And we sell gluten-free treats. We use a ton of local ingredients, but it would be very clear that I would be talking about a product, a thing you would, you would sort of take away and eat or drink. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think now I think about it much, much differently. And mm-hmm. one of the core goals of my business is to help people become familiar and comfortable with the notion of getting their food from their community neighborhood farm. I think we've become so disconnected from the notion that production of food can happen very close to where you live. It's not this other thing that happens in another state or another town. You know, it can happen literally within five square miles of your house. So my cafe, I think, has has done that for a lot of people. It's brought them in in a way that's really familiar and comfortable to interact with a cafe, something that they they know and feel good about and can form that relationship with me and the other people who work at the cafe, have a, have a face and a person present to engage with, to interact with, to, to talk to. Mm -hmm. And, and all the while they're making that association with a production farm that's employing regenerative agricultural practices, that's raising 
100% grass-fed beef that's growing organic vegetables. That's happening 100 yards away, not even. Super and they're there. Yeah. And so so now for me, my, my kind of quote-unquote product that I think of is, well, I'm providing my community with an enhanced and deepened on-farm experience. Mm-hmm. Which is I which I which is I think a powerful direction to head in when it comes to getting people on board with local food and championing regenerative agriculture in a way that works for everybody. It's becoming familiar, becoming comfortable. And as we opened up, you know, you mentioned curiosity and getting people to start thinking slightly differently. I think that's really what I'm trying to do with Blank Page Cafe. Yeah. I mean, I like when I was uh, looking at some of your description, there's you you made the statement uh, eating is a political act. I mean, I feel like I'm just really so grateful for your work out there because uh, it it really for me is about kind of trying show showing people dipping into your local farms and communities and supporting them and restaurants and cafes and, you know, different businesses who are trying to enhance and keep that flow of, of local organic sustainable thing, you know, when you're upset about climate change and you're upset about the rate of cancer and you're upset about 54% of our children are not hitting the health mark. We've got 54% of our children have chronic illness in the United States. Mm. These are ways, you know, if we can bring our attention and hearts into systems that are solution-based, shifting foods away from toxicity and um, making it fun, connecting to the earth and knowing where your food is coming from. I just feel like your that the bread and butter farm, as well as your cafe is really just bringing such such beauty and groundedness to the community and connection to the community. Um, super, super thankful for that. Oh, that's cool. I appreciate hearing that. Yeah, that's good. That warms my heart a little bit. And we've always, you know, we've always talked about how cool it is when people think of and relate to the farm as like a, this little extension of their kitchen or, mm-hmm. or, or their home or their backyard. You know, we've engaged with folks on a lot of levels from a multi-generational perspective from kiddos all the way up to, you know, Mm -hmm. grandparents with all of the things that are happening on the farm. And and so I think over the years, you know, our social capital has been that feeling of comfort and familiarity and like belonging, you know, feeling, Mm -hmm. feeling, feeling like people belong there Mm -hmm. and they're Mm -hmm. not, they're not, you know, tiptoeing around somebody's farm. Like, Whoa, am I supposed to be here? This is sort of, not my territory, you know, we, we welcome folks in, in a way, I think that's, that resonates that, Mm -hmm. that is, that is kind of from that is born from the heart space. And, you know, a transaction is, is, is a consequence of that. It's not, it's not Mm -hmm. that that happens just because we are sort of trying to do that, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And and it is cool. I think it's fun. Yeah. You know, you're right. It's cool to think of it that way. Like why, why can't, a farm and you know and a cafe and food production and stuff why can't it be fun you know why can't we mm-hmm. have a little fun with that and, and it's so pretty we're magical yeah yeah we're all a little goofy and like you know it's just <laughs> and, and what it speaks to for me honestly Susie it's like I've never felt what at, with my old job there was this notion of like okay I have my work self in mm-hmm. this box and I show up and from seven to five I'm my work self okay mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Then I go home and on the way home, I'm somehow morphing into my home self. And then I have my weekend self and there's all these different versions of myself. Mm-hmm. And what the co- one of the coolest, you know, dynamics that I think we've cultivated at the farm and I, I try and cultivate at blank page cafe is like you show up as yourself in as authentic a way as you feel comfortable. And that will permeate and resonate with people because that's so important. And that feeling of, Hey, this is who I am. And I'm going to show up and, and work in, in this, in this way, as I, you know, as who I am. Mm-hmm. And that feels so good. It just feels so grounding and, um, you know, it, awesome. it feels good. Yeah. So let me just kind of pick through your cafe amazingness here. You guys do meals to go and we are going to put your contact information in the notes for this, uh, for this uh, podcast. So um, bone broths. I hear a lot about the Friday breakfast taco. Shared I can't stop talking about that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Shared's one of our biggest, our biggest supporters. We love sharing. Yes. Shared is just awesome. Yeah. So, and then you guys cater. Yep. You do some catering. Now is the blank page cafe. I mean, I've been in there and had some coffee and treats and oh my goodness, I'm just going to say the coffee. I felt like I just wanted to be left alone in some sort of magic room to drink by myself. (laughs) It was, I don't know. I've had butter coffee before, but for some reason it was just amazing. Um, So what, let's tell people how they can access you. How do they find you? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And tell them what you make so they can get. Yeah, well, well, okay, let's start there just to whet the appetite a little bit. And then, yeah, um, but so we'll start with what you finished talking about, which is butter coffee. So butter coffee is not something that I came up with or invented. It's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. In fact, it traces back to um, Himalayan regions with yak butter in tea at higher altitudes, cold weather climates. Fast forward, we've applied sort of the Americanized version of of the concept of putting fat in coffee, which is we eat a lot of butter in this country and we drink, we drink more coffee than tea, generally speaking. So butter in coffee. And when I started to drink butter coffee, it was when I started farming and it was once a week, I would fast and have just butter coffee in the morning and I would get energy through the roof. Like those of, those of you out there who are old enough to maybe remember the Kool-Aid man, how he used to just bust through the wall um, in those commercials. <laughs> like that, that's the energy level that I felt on, on quote unquote, on, on butter coffee. Like it's some kind of butter coffee. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so I would, I would harvest, I mean, I would go nuts. Like I would fast, have the butter coffee and work nonstop until three or four o'clock. And it doesn't have that same powerful effect for everybody, but I'll just say that it did for me. Mm-hmm. And so I started it, you know, I was like, wow, this is, this is something. And so when I started opening my cafe, I said, well, coffee's great, but oftentimes we put conventional dairy and some kind of conventional sweetener in it. And we undermine one, the health benefit of coffee, um, just on its own as a standalone food. And two, we sort of degrade the energetic benefit of it by adding really insulinogenic um, additives like conventional dairy and uh, processed sugars. And so how can we maintain the health benefit of the coffee and help to leverage the energy metabolism of caffeine in a way that's more sustaining and better for us? And that's done by putting butter in coffee, adding a fat component that allows our bodies to more efficiently metabolize both the fats and, or the ketones and the caffeine in the coffee. So I was fortunately in Vermont, we, I said, well, okay, if I'm going to put butter in coffee, it's got to be really good butter. 
So there's not a lot of producers that make butter from 100% grass-fed cows. The economics around producing that kind of dairy aren't in, in, conducive to dairy producers producing it. But we yeah. do have one farm um, that does it, and it's the Larson family farm, and they're mm-hmm. down in Wells, Vermont. So I source my butter from them. They have a small herd. They're A2A2 Jersey cows producing very high quality dairy mm-hmm. um, that has an amazing nutrient density profile. And I get their butter on a, uh, as regular a basis as I can. And that goes into the coffee. And so butter coffee is a base butter, hundred percent grass fed butter, organic coconut derived, medium chain triglycerides. So you're getting quote unquote fat coffee. Um, yeah. and, and, and that, and it's great. It's awesome. And then I have a few different versions of that that are more tasty. You know, I make a maple version with organic maple syrup that we get from our neighbors and uh, a mocha version with homemade chocolate sauce. That sounds delicious. Yeah. So we got the butter coffee and we also have a full fleet of just regular coffee drinks. I source all my coffee from Brio Coffee Works. Uh, they're a local mm-hmm. roaster here based in Pine Street. And then I bake all, all the treats that I bake are gluten-free and use a lot of high quality ingredients. I have an amazing source of organic eggs from Doolittle Farm. Uh, they're mm. down by Middlebury as well. And there's a lot of organic ingredients and I focus on gluten-free um, and I have been gluten-free for a long time. I'm just uh, from a nutrition philosophy perspective and just the personal, personal health and wellness perspective. Mm-hmm. And then just as of last year, literally we're coming up on the year of me obtaining a catering license, which happened right before COVID hit mm-hmm. uh, and a small renovation of our kitchen space, I was able to start cooking food, which was always the goal for my cafe. And mm-hmm. because of COVID uh, and because of my license, it's all to go. And I'm doing meals, prepared meals to go. Mm. And they're mostly animal protein based because that's what we're, you know, that's, I strongly believe in the philosophy of sort of regenerative ag with animals as a, as a necessary component of achieving a regenerative agricultural sort of system. And we raise hundred percent grass fed beef at bread and butter farm and a small amount of pastured heritage breed pork. And we also partner with some of the amazing farm producers in the area, which is uh, something I'm really proud of is the fact that we're, we're able to sort of make a market for other farm producers. So awesome. farms like Ma- Maplewind Farm for chicken and pork and uh, Agricola Farm for pork and uh, several other smaller producers. And so my meals now, they're all gluten-free. Um, I focus on nutrient density and sort of ba- balancing um, as much as I can. I, I source a lot of my veggies from local organic uh, producers. And I have a handful of farms that I source all of my animal proteins from. Right. And yeah. And I minimize conventional dairy. I very rarely, if ever use any industrial seed oils. So any kind of cooking oils and fats are always high quality, whether they're butter or organic coconut oil or how, you know, mm-hmm. rendered lard that I make. Yeah. And I just started, you know, really ramping up the last couple months, bone broth, which is awesome super delicious, nutrient dense, necessary for our digestive tracts and, uh, you know, immune function and a whole host of other nutritional benefits. And I'm making right now, uh, chicken, beef and pork stock. And I just recently started making a small amount of veggie stock, having that on hand. Yeah. Especially during the winter months is awesome. And that's usually frozen. We keep it Mm -hmm. in our freezers and it's available for purchase to go. Yeah. And then here we have a lot of, I recommend bone broth to a lot of people for, uh, joint health and inflammation issues and gut healing. It really is super great for healing the lining of the gut. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Not to mention tasty. Collagen. 
yeah, collagen is, is, it's loaded with collagen. I use, you know, you know, kind of fatty, you know, bones and uh, knuckle joints and all these kind of really collagen rich parts of the animal. And we make that broth and that's, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's one of the primary reasons why I love it. And I love to champion it as a really necessary part of a kind of a well-rounded diet. And the Friday taco, tell me about that. Friday tacos are, we've been doing it now since last June, every Friday. I'm super excited about tacos because for me, when I think about, I love breakfast in general. I love breakfast hours. I'm my most energetic self from maybe eight to noon, you know? Mm -hmm. So the idea of having some kind of to go offering for breakfast was always near and dear to my heart. And the breakfast tacos kind of came to mind because they can be done gluten-free very easily. We, we get, and this is what's so awesome. We partner and, um, you know, I get uh, fresh masa, which is nixtamalized corn, basically corn that's been ground down, soaked in a bit of lime salt, kind of lime salt bath, and then formed into a big ball, doughy ball. Uh, we get that from All Souls Tortilleria, and that they're oh, yeah. in the old north. Yeah, they're in the old north end in, in uh, Burlington, and they work with regional producers to source organic heirloom corn. And so that's amazing. It, yeah, it's it's an amazing you know product in general, the regional agricultural product sourced from a business that's doing really good things. So we start mm -hmm. with that fresh masa and we hand press the tortillas. So we roll out each tortilla in a little dough ball, like a little cookie dough ball, and we press it with a hand uh, press tortilla um, maker. And then we we have a flat top grill and those go on the grill and then going to the to the warming container to kind of soften up and then we you know we use all local ingredients so shredded cheddar and then organic eggs from Doolittle farm and the protein that i add to the breakfast tacos kind of rotates week to week it's either it the here here are the couple proteins that we've we've used we used vt salumi chorizo uh pulled pork from agricola farm or barbacoa beef made from beef from bread and butter farm and kind of rotate those proteins uh, week in and week out and then have a few little veggie fixins shredded on top, cabbage, cilantro. Sounds uh, amazing. Scallions. Yeah. So they're just super tasty. Yeah. We really love doing it. It's a good time. And yeah. So, so coffee's delightful and gluten-free treats and bone broth and your tacos. Um, is, are you affiliated with the farm store? Is that just the farm bread and butter farm? Yeah. So I am affiliate. So the way I like to describe it is legally and financially, I operate as a separate business, but energetically and strategically, we're very much tied yeah. and aligned. And so I operate my kitchen, you know, is in the farm store. So gotcha. we have a little bit of a hybrid space, which is super cool to me. I mean, we're Beautiful. very transparent. People can come in, they see the kitchen right behind the counter. It's right there. And you know, the stuff I'm cooking is right there for avail available for purchase. And we have, nice it's a small space but it works and it, it's it feels cozy in there and it's just super super cool you know and uh, we do our csa pickup out of that space when we can you know um, during pre-covid and we will you know when things get saved and anyways yeah it's just an awesome little space and it's our little nook that it, you got to kind of seek it out a little bit um, yep. because you got to come down this long dirt driveway but we're there it's cool though. It's, it's a beautiful piece of land. It's amazing. And I love that it's not your typical, you're just pulling up on the farm to go into this organic cafe. It's amazing. Yeah, um, no, so, it's a little hidden gem. 
let me just add one last thing here before we wrap up. You know, everybody's still trying to be careful with the whole COVID stuff. What kind of things are you guys doing to, to make your stuff accessible for people? How do they, how do they get to come have your cafe makings? Yeah, great question. Yeah, we've been really sensitive to COVID since the beginning. And it was interesting and quite the adventurous journey because we were simultaneously, as so many small businesses were and still are, simultaneously dealing with a huge influx in demand um, and these really restrictive COVID protocols. Mm -hmm. And so what we did pretty early on is uh, um, create and develop an online store and a platform, you know, online platform through which we can sell all of our produce, meats, all of the cafe goodies, coffees, awesome. all of my meals. So folks can, folks can find the online store. It's, uh, it's linked through the Bread and Butter Farm website and my website, blankpagecafe.com and on both of our respective Instagrams. And so folks can go to our online store, shop around 24-7 and um, we have, we still are operating under somewhat restrictive hours to just limit, you know, kind of like limit the amount of traffic that comes through and kind of help preserve all of our own, you know, well, all of our own respective well-beings through the, through this. But uh, we're open Tuesday through Friday right now, okay. uh, Tuesday, eight to five, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, eight to three. Those hours will expand a bit as the spring and summer kind of open up. We're hoping to add Saturdays in shortly. Uh, So we have the curbside pickup option. And then just last week, we started to allow folks to come into the farm store. Mm -hmm. But we're saying two people in at a time. Mm -hmm. And we're asking folks to just do their shopping and kind of move quickly in and out of the farm store space. And we do, we are requiring masks uh, when when you're coming into the farm store area. So Great. doing all the things we have hand sanitizer and we're sort of doing that. And you yeah, know, you my are. kitchen, my kitchen, it, it's interesting because, you know, the Vermont department of health has pretty onerous standards as it relates to food safety. And so sure, we've amplified those even more, but, but, but suffice it to say that, you know, we've been doing since the beginning a lot to help create a safe environment for us to be cooking for you, you know, and Beautiful. Uh, we, we feel good about that. that. Yeah. Wonderful. Wow. So I really, truly thank you so much for hanging out with me on a Friday afternoon. No, thank you, uh, Susie. Wow. So Blank Page Cafe and Mike Froya, this is uh, an awesome opportunity to support your local, organic, sustainable, behaving people. (laughs) And the quality (laughs) of the food is amazing, truly. So they can find you on Instagram at at Blank Page Cafe. Bread and Butter Farm also on Instagram and Facebook at Bread and Butter. It's just Bread and Butter Farm. And uh, then your website is uh, blankpagecafe.com. And again, breadandbutterfarm.com. You guys are very collaborative and and really building such a beautiful community. I love your work so much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Susie. This was a pleasure. Great to talk to you. All right. I hope you have a great weekend. You as well. Thanks so much. And again, everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, This is Dr. Susie from Cedarwood Natural Health Center, and this is my podcast, Next 7. The purpose is to be bringing to you opportunities to learn who's in your neighborhood and helping us to have sustainable clean food, clean water, and uh, we bring on some uh, other sustainable healthcare workers and that sort of thing as well. So thank you for listening, and please stay tuned for other adventures.